It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. Coming to you live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Caligero, and it's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you listen, whenever you're watching, I hope you're doing okay. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant located on beautiful St. Simons Island in Georgia. Check out his website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com. Or give my man a call, 912-268-2328, 912-268-2328. Find out why I go all the way to St. Simon's to get an authentic Italian meal. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by the Turning Stone Resort and Casino and their next boxing event, which is taking place October 21st. It's an HBO event. I'm going to be ringside. I want you to be ringside, too. Get yourself some tickets. Visit our website, billycboxing.com, and click on the Turning Stone Fight poster uh, to uh, get directed right into the ticket office. And the uh, fight post is on the right-hand side of the screen. So uh, click that, and uh, make sure you drop me an email and tell me where you're sitting. I'll come over and say hello. Uh, Billy at Talkin' Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. And finally, today's show is being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino, From Bondage to Baddest Man on the Planet, is available right now. We're all good books are sold and you can get a copy of it right now while you're watching or listening to the show uh, just go to barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com find out why i'm so adamant about telling tom molino's story uh you know it goes well beyond from rags to riches i mean this guy was born a slave fought for his freedom read the book it's it's worth it and by the way for the rest of this month because of a brain lapse i ordered twice as many books than i normally do so you want a signed copy? Drop me an email, Billy at Talkin' Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. And as long as you live someplace in the United States, I will send you a signed copy for 20 bucks. Can't beat that. Drop me an email. I'll get yours out today. Um, speaking of uh, today, we, we got some stuff to talk about. First and foremost, um, we're going to be doing a blast from the past today uh, featuring uh, Umberto Gonzalez, a uh, former world champion and Hall of Famer, Alex Papali will be uh, on later to tell us about uh, Umberto Gonzalez, uh, a request from one of you guys. Uh, we also have uh, uh, news to talk about. I got some great emails. Um, today's, I, 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 got, I got a several main topics today, but it was announced yesterday that Miguel Cotto uh, will be uh, taking on Saddam Ali uh, in uh, uh, his next fight. Saddam Ali is uh, uh, a decent fighter. 
And, I, you know, it's not like I knew Miguel Cotto was not going to um, fight some kind of a world beater for his exit fight. This is, uh, once again, Miguel Cotto claims that this is his last fight. If you recall, in his last fight, he had picked up the WBO um, uh, junior middleweight title. So this had to be a title defense. Um, there was rumor of him fighting Antonio Margarito and some other big names, uh, but uh, but he chose Saddam Ali. Now, now you know, when they announced it yesterday and they'll have an official uh, press conference on that, um, I believe later this week or early next week, uh, they claim that Danny Garcia, Mikey Garcia, Lamont Peterson, and James Kirkland all turned down offers to fight Cotto. Now, the way they make it sound is that these guys did not want to fight Cotto. And, you know, you got to really take a look when you read that in the press. They didn't necessarily turn down the fight because they're scared of Miguel Cotto. They turned down the offer to fight Miguel Cotto, which might not have been enough money. For example, I'm sure Danny Garcia and Mikey Garcia would have loved to have fought uh, Cotto, uh, both, I believe, could beat Cotto, and uh, I just don't think there was enough money offered on the table. Joining me right now, we'll get his thoughts, is my man uh, from St. Simons, clean-shaven now, I'm uh, glad to see, but uh, not that it matters to me, but uh, my man Sal, Rocky Senecola, you look like normal, you look much younger, I, I, tell you, I, I tell you what, you look much younger without the beard and uh, mustache. <laughs> Thank you, Bill, you know I liked it. It was a trial. It was a this. I had to take a couple of headshots with that for a portfolio thing. But, uh, hey, it's gone. I'm glad. I got my face and my clean shaved back, and uh, I'm ready. So cut me, Mick. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think you of go. the fight? Uh, and my point yeah. about, uh, you know, when they announced that fighters uh, didn't want to fight them, uh, it's not because they were afraid. It was probably the, the do-re-mi. Well, it's it's the do re me, and it's the, it's the spin what they want you to think or believe, and and uh, what's behind it. But I'll tell you, it's like many times. Um, it's also would it be a significant enough fight for these guys to have taken? You know, I, I often go back and I wonder what might have been different. And uh, you know, uh, Richie Giacchetti was my manager at the time, and. Lou Duva offered us for my for I was seven and zero with maybe four or five knockouts and uh, and and Lou Duva called Richie Giacchetti and said that they would like to put Meldrick Taylor uh, for his professional debut after he won a gold medal in the '84 Olympics. They'd like him to fight me um, for his pro debut. And Richie said, "Sal, it could be a good fight." And you've got a good style for Taylor. But here's the thing that I don't like about it. If you beat Meldrick Taylor, you're beating a, a, a yeah, an Olympian, but you're beating him in his pro debut. He never fought pro. And if you lose to Meldrick Taylor, you're losing to uh, a guy making his pro debut who was an Olympic gold medalist. But So Richie said, Sal, let's just bypass this fight for now, and maybe we'll fight him down the road when uh, we see what he's got. So I, you know, that was Richie's call, and uh, but that was his explanation. Had nothing to do with money, anything else. But uh, so what I'm saying is, maybe Miguel Cotto isn't really that significant 
for them to fight to prove that they could beat him. Or if they lose to him, they're going to lose to an aging old guy that his career is washed up or not going, you know, to be around for too much longer. And if they beat him, well, they just beat an aging old guy who's not going to be around any longer. So there could have been some of that in between with the money. You never know. Well, yeah, I, I can see your point. Uh, when but he's a you great guys, fighter. When you guys discussed that uh, for uh, Taylor. But in this particular case, um, you know, Miguel Cotto is not scaring anybody. I mean, it's not like no, uh, they're not. asking you to fight Triple G. I think that they just did not offer enough money. And they do this for promotional reasons. They, they specifically say, well, you know, we offered the fight to uh, Mikey Garcia, Danny Garcia, Lamont Peterson, James Kirkland. They all didn't want it. So the immediate uh, thought is like, ooh, they're scared to fight Miguel Cotto. No, no, they probably offered him $100 to fight him, and they said forget about it. You know, Mikey Garcia and Danny Garcia both can make a big money. Lamont Peterson, um, you know, I, Lamont Peterson, we talked about him before. This is a guy that for some reason does not get – uh, enough respect. Um, and as far as James Kirkland, I'm surprised. I mean, uh, um, I, I mean, this is, I'm sure that he's, his phone isn't ringing off the hook. But when you take a look at Saddam Ali, the truth of the matter here is, you know, I, this is exactly the type of fight that, that Cota was looking for, a fight he feels he can win. Saddam Ali has never fought uh, at uh, junior middleweight officially. I mean, back in 2011, he fought Javier Perez. He weighed 149 and a half. And in uh, beginning of this year against Jorge Silva, he weighed uh, 148 and a half, both technically junior middleweight. But uh, of his, uh, uh, of his uh, 26 professional fights, technically has never fought in that division. I, I think this is Cotto picking a guy he feels that uh, he's going to have no trouble with. What, what do you think? Well, if this is his swan dance, his song, and his last fight, yes, I would have to agree with you, Bill, that he is uh, not looking for a world beater. He wants to go in against somebody that he feels he can not only beat, but you know has a kind of style that will make his style look even better. So I think it, it, it's more along that line and uh, not, not anything else uh, negotiation-wise to get the other big fighters, the big names, the big world beaters, the big current uh, prospects and champions and contenders in the ring with Miguel Cotto at his time in all due respect. Well, the truth of the matter is, is um, you know, Miguel Cotto, I mean, I think Antonio Margarita wanted to fight him for, for a third fight. And not that Antonio Margarito is anything what he was. Uh, I, I really think when, when you look at the fight from a money perspective, uh, you know, I, I think Miguel Cotto is making a mistake. I think Miguel Cotto would have been better off uh, fighting Margarito. And I say this because I don't think Margarito um, could have beaten Miguel Cotto. I, as a matter of fact, he's got the same chances as Saddam Ali. Saddam Ali is actually uh, a better fighter in terms of movement and boxing ability, something that could give Miguel Cotto some trouble. Um and, you know, if it's all about the money, I would have thought that uh, Cotto would have made way more money fighting Margarito unless Margarito uh, was asking for big bucks. But according to my reports, he, they never even offered to fight to Margarito. So, wow. you know, Cotto is, is fighting a, a smaller guy, a guy that's never fought in a division 
Uh, he's ranked number 23 in the welterweight division. So where does that put him um, in, in the junior middleweight division? And then let's go to the sanctioning body, the WBO. How do you sanction a title defense against a guy that, A, has never fought in that division, uh, and, B, who's not even ranked in the top 15 of the welterweight division? He's ranked number 23 in terms of the computer. You know, the WBO might have moved him in the uh, uh, junior middleweight ranks, which I didn't even look. Uh, but if they did that, I, uh, my third question would be, how could they do that? He never even fought in, in, in that division. So uh, pretty, uh, pretty strange circumstances, in my opinion, uh, surrounding this fight, Sal. Well, it is strange. And, you know, like we said, sometimes you got to pay your way. And uh, you could find yourself automatically in the top 10 for uh, a contendership of a title. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's mysterious how this guy just turns up in this weight division. And, and it was all automatically a mandatory. Uh, <laughs> so, hey, like I said, it's boxing. Uh, it's never going to be perfect. It's just going to try to give us the best that we could find. And uh, well, we'll we know make the game. Make and, no make no mistake, Sal. It's not a mandatory. Um, there there uh, was no there was no mandatory. It, okay, it was you, chosen you. by Saddam Ali, but generally, I mean, uh, by Miguel Cotto. But generally, a, a fighter that a a, a sanctioning body approves um, for a world title fight for their world title fight has yes. to be ranked generally in the top fifteen. So I'm a little confused about that. But uh, Dax Khan is going to be coming on a little bit later. And uh, I guess he's got some uh, 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 more news on that uh, and uh, some other stuff. So, uh, so we'll know. But I, I got some more news for you I wanted to talk about. Um, okay. Floyd Mayweather. A guy Who? that I would. Who? Exactly. Who? Uh, thank you, Sal. Thank you, Sal. Thank you very much for saying that because I wish I didn't even have to mention uh, the bastard's name. Who? The bastage. <laughs> the bastage. But um, Floyd, Floyd and uh, his uh, entourage, you know, because Floyd, you know, that's what always makes me laugh. You know, Floyd acts like he's such a badass, but he, he he's such a wimp that he doesn't even go anywhere by himself. He's got to carry, you know, uh, a whole entourage of his bodyguards and everything else. I mean, this is why he's going to piss away all his money, you know. But anyway, he's at a, a, a basketball game yesterday uh, at the uh, New York Knicks at Madison Square Garden in New York City. And uh, when he was leaving... Apparently, a fan started heckling him, yelling at him, and uh, saying that he was scared to fight Triple G and giving him all, all you know, some, some, uh, uh, some flack, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, he started yelling back. And at one point, um, Floyd says to this guy, uh, hey, how many diamonds you have on your watch flashing his own? And and my my thought on this my thought on this is twofold, Sal. Number one, oh number my one, God, no, number one. I say to myself, you see, I, I was right. I had predicted that Floyd is going to be haunted um, in retirement about not choosing the best fighters like other fighters before him have that want to have the uh, title as an all time great. And, and Floyd has taken it a step further by. Uh, self-proclaiming that he's the best ever so i think that when he goes out in public over time and the more time that that goes on the more hassle he's going to get and triple g will be a name that will be thrown at him because let's face it floyd has the talent to actually especially the version of triple g we saw against canelo and the the fight plan that canelo tried to employ 
um, would have been a fight plan that Floyd did, and Floyd would have been more successful at it because he can hit on the move. So I think that Floyd could possibly uh, steal a victory from him. So that's number one. Uh, you know, Floyd's always going to get bothered by that. But number two, this is my biggest problem with Floyd Mayweather and his fans that always try to tell me that he's the best ever. And one of the reasons when I say why, they give me two answers 99.99% of the time. One is he's undefeated, which is a stupid thing. And two, because he makes so much money, which should have no bearing on anything when you're looking at, uh, you know, all-time great. And all of a sudden, Floyd uses the same line against this heckler. How many diamonds are on your watch? What difference does that have to make with him avoiding Triple G? Your thoughts, please, Sal Rocky Senecola. Bill, you know you're striking some nerves with me, pal. Come on. You know, I, I said, you know, Floyd wants to really prove himself. He should have been ringside for Canelo Alvarez, a Triple G fight and challenged a winner after that fight. And now that they both had a draw, he can challenge both of them. <laughs> and in in defense, you know, he already beat Canelo Alvarez. And I don't know if he would have beaten uh, the current today Canelo Alvarez, but uh, he would give a good fight and a good show of himself, as well as him fighting Triple G. Styles makes fights. And Mayweather has a style that could possibly give Triple G some trouble too but still I think you know uh, Mayweather just thought about those heavy hands dumping on them and breaking them up anywhere else and you know it, it could have been a different story but yeah we were all hoping for that I was promoting that but uh, it never happened and another reason why you just made me think another reason why Floyd Mayweather has his entourage that he brings with him and buys for pays for and keeps them around him is just what you said there could be someday a heckler uh, or somebody that has one or two many beers in a in a sporting event or out socially or somewhere else that their paths may cross who just may have uh, enough uh, enough nerve to go off the reservation and say, Floyd, I could beat you. I could do this. I could hit you, you know, and just want to try and get a name for himself and try to get in a street fight with Floyd Mayweather. That's why you have an entourage around you, too. So you don't get that opportunity, number one. Or if you did get that close, it's going to be quickly disbanded because your entourage is going to jump in and rescue you. You know, it's funny is if you have a reputation for being a badass, um, <laughs> most people aren't going to try it. You know, Floyd doesn't have that. He doesn't have that reputation. His reputation is he's made a lot of money and he's cherry picked. Listen. Floyd is going to get hassled forever because there's going to be enough people that are not going to put the value in his smokescreen that a lot of others do. But I just found it funny that, you know, as he's uh, yelling back and forth behind the protection of his linebacker-sized uh, uh, entourage uh, that he throws in this guy's face um, that, uh, you know, he's got more jewelry uh, on him than... Uh, than the guy does. And uh, he says, I'm not scared of Triple G. And Triple G has said that he would love to fight uh, Floyd. As a matter of fact, he guarantees, guarantees he would knock Floyd out. And to be honest with I think you, he would. Uh, I, I don't think we've seen the last of Floyd. I think that no. Floyd Mayweather um, will come back again. And the reason 
is because of his ego. Um, he doesn't have to financially. And, you know, uh, some signs that would indicate that he wouldn't come back is if he started to stop with the entourage and the spending and then this and then that because that is the sign of a guy who's going to run out of money and as much money as he's made and he's made him if not hitting it he's made pretty damn close to a billion dollars more than anybody else uh in the uh, ring uh so uh, uh you know a guy that has made that much money if i'm floyd mayweather i kind of I kind of get out of the limelight. If I'm Floyd, I would have I would focus on my my promotional company and really try to build up uh, some good fighters. It just seems that anybody that gets involved with Floyd ends up going down the wrong street. Um, you know, it's like what Yogi Berra always said: if you get to a fork in the road, take it. You know, I mean, up, and, that, and that's what they <laughs> that's what they don't do. But uh, anyway, uh, oh, back God. to uh, Miguel Cotto and Saddam Ali. Um, I, I'm not so sure I like the fight. I understand why Miguel Cotto has taken it. Um, you know, he's looking to, to go out with a, with a, a, a good performance against a guy. The only, the only reservation I have is that Saddam Ali can box. And if he's disciplined enough to, to just box Cotto, the question would be now, can he steal a fight from Cotto? Would he get a fair shake at Madison Square Garden? Uh, uh, Miguel Cotto does so well uh, with uh, with the uh, Puerto Rican fan base in New York, uh, and of course, you know, you would you would assume that the judging would be in his favor too, which you hate to say, but uh, uh, it is what it is. So I, I just, you know, I'm not that crazy about the pick. I I, I think if he's going to go out with a uh, a win, so to speak, I think a bigger name. Uh, a beatable winner, bigger name would have been a smarter move. And to hate, I hate to say it, but I would have, I, I would have thought that he would have made more money against Mar, uh, Antonio Margarito. Oh, uh, by far, I think he would have. And and like I said, uh, this guy Salam Ali, I, I don't know how well he really is known in the world as far as uh, being a contender and and having the quality of uh, skills that's going to put him in the ring with Cotto because Cotto should. I don't want to say easily handle him because he's got some boxing ability, this guy, Ali. But uh, the bottom line is Cotto is going to go in this ring and he's going to look good and he's going to win the fight. And uh, especially in New York, uh, everything's on his side. And that's what is going to happen. And it'll be maybe his last fight. Um, and I'm sorry. And thank you for correcting me when I said mandatory. There's another fight that I, I'm going to wait for you to bring up that that uh, I read was a mandatory, and I'm very excited yeah, about Yeah, we'll talk about ahead. that right at the next yeah. break. But um, look up Saddam Ali and find out who, who he is and what he's about because he's a good yes, fighter. Um, he's a young fighter, 26 years – I'm sorry, 29 years old. Uh, Miguel Cotto's 36. Uh, he is 26-1 uh, and one with 14 knockouts. Um you know, the, the, his only loss came at his world title shot when he fought and uh, got stopped in the ninth round against Jesse Vargas. Uh, up to that point, you know, you got, you, he started his career uh, back in uh, 2009, and he really was coddled, I mean, big time, um, all the way up until he fought Jeremy Bryan uh, back in 2014. I think that that was his first real test, and you, you could make the argument that he got a gift decision. It was a split decision. A lot of people felt he lost that fight. 
But from that point on, he did. He has fought some good opposition, like uh, uh, Luis Carlo Abreu, uh, Francisco Santana. He lost to Jesse Vargas in that title shot. Uh, but since then, he's fought and beat uh, Saul Corral, who's a good fighter. Jorge Silva, who's uh, uh, you look at his record at 22 and 12, but he's he's a good fighter. And he knocked him out in three rounds. And in his last fight, he fought a tough Johan Perez uh, and won a unanimous decision. So, uh, you know, he is a good fighter. I just I, my, my concern is the fact that he's fighting uh, uh, in a weight class he shouldn't be. Uh, and also, uh, uh, how's he even ranked by the WBO? But Sal, hold that thought. We're going to take a short break. And when I come back, we'll talk about the news you want to talk about. So uh, we'll be back in two. Billy C. We'll be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're listening and watching. Billy C. Show, glad you could be with us. And don't forget about being with me. That's right. Come on up to the Turning Stone Resort and Casino on October 21st. I'm going to be ringside for uh, the Turning Stone's next boxing event. And you should show up there, too. You know, I need some scotches, so you got to get there. Get yourself some tickets. Uh, visit our website, BillyCBoxing.com, and uh, click on the Turning Stone banner, which you can't miss. It's on the right-hand side. Um, before we went to break, we were talking about uh, uh, Miguel Cotto taking on Saddam Ali. I personally feel that uh, Antonio Margarito would have been a better opponent, not for the competition, because I think Saddam Ali is the better fighter. I just think that, you know, Cotto's clearly picking a, uh, you know, uh, bon voyage, let me make the most money, let me get a W, you know, everything in my favor type of a fight. And I, I just think that the WBO um, is more is looking more stupid than anyone else, Sal, because of the, the approval of the fight. I mean, here's a guy who's never even fought in that division ever, you know. Um, so uh, two times he fought above 147, and that was earlier in his career. So, um, But now, Sal, yes. the news you want to talk about. Oh, boy. Talking about ordering a mandatory fight. Yes. The WBO has ordered uh, Billy Joe Saunders, who's the only, yes. only belt that Triple G does not have in the middleweight division. Uh, Billy Joe Saunders is coming off a pretty boring fight against William Monroe Jr. Um, has uh, 30 days to reach a deal with his mandatory opponent, which was named yesterday. And Sal, what's your thoughts on David Lemieux being named uh, Billy Joe Saunders' opponent and uh, the fight itself? I mean, uh, I, I love it. What's your thoughts? Oh, come on, Bill. I love it, too. You know, we, we were throwing it out there a couple of months ago with uh, or even uh, just just as recent as uh, with the Canelo Alvarez Triple G fight and saying where, you know, David Lemieux could fit so perfectly among anybody that we have this round robin scenario. And and David Lemieux versus Billy Joe Saunders is a great, great fight. Uh, and I, I, I would like to see David Lemieux win this fight. 
And I'd also like to see then him leveraged to face the winner of Triple G and Canelo Alvarez again. And I think uh, I think to next year uh, that fight could possibly happen to by the end of the year anyway. So uh, I love Dave Lemieux. I'm a big fan of Dave Lemieux. And, you know, there's not any one thing I could, could even identify that's spectacular about Dave Lemieux, except he's got some great punching power. He's got some great, great arsenal in his, in his weaponry. But a guy can get hit. He takes a hell of a shot. And what I love and respect about him is he's a fighter. He comes back. He fights to win. And he wants to win. And he's got some devastating, if you could say, almost freakish punching power. And that's the equalizer in any fight. When you got a puncher, you are never counted out of the fight until you're counted out or that last bell rings. So I like this David Lemieux fight. Uh, I'm going to wish him the best, and I like the way this whole scenario could be shaping up for next year. Yeah, no, uh, I uh, I like the fight. Uh, uh, Billy Joe Saunders says, I'm so happy the WBO has me fighting Lemieux. We'll see what short legs does. I hope he doesn't get some kind of injury. Uh, Saunders, uh, if I'm if I'm uh, David Lemieux, I wear a cup at the uh, uh, press conference cause, so Billy Joe Saunders' little son doesn't kick him in the nuts like he did uh, uh, William Monroe Jr. <laughs> but David Lemieux said, uh, I'm ready to take the belt from that coward Billy Joe Saunders. I will get I back to where I should be on the map. Lock and load, you pussy. That's what uh, they started uh, back and forth. What do you think of that? I think those are fighting words, Bill. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, hey, no love lost here. We know that going in. So, uh, um, like I said, uh, I love this fight. Did they set a tentative date yet? Um, right now, they have 30 days to reach the deal. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, they go to purse bid. Uh, the minimum uh, purse bid is 200000 uh, which, uh, you know, I, and I want to make people understand something about purse bids. Just because of purse bid, let's say let's say they can't reach a deal because you know first and foremost Billy Joe Saunders has outpriced himself many times in the past. Um, so you know if they can't come to a deal, then what it means is they go to a purse bid, and the purse bid uh, procedure is sealed offers from whoever wants to do it. So it could be uh, a different promoter, uh, not Lemieux's promoter, and not Billy Joe Saunders' promoter that actually wins the fight. What the minimum purse bid means is that that's the minimum bid uh, to get the fight. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's what the fighters are going to split. Uh, yeah. 200, let's say somebody bids 250 and they're the only one uh, and they win the purse bid. That doesn't mean that 250000 is going to be split between those two fighters because there's other revenues that will be negotiated. Um, I, I do believe that this fight will be made prior to a bid uh, a purse bid because uh, you know both fighters have significant um, audiences and television deals and strong promotional companies so um, I think that uh, that this deal will be made it will be a co-promoted uh, uh, fight my only question mark is where it will be uh, does the fight take place in the states does the fight take place in Canada does the fight take place in England? You know, so you, you have three, you know, big question marks in terms of yes. uh, location. You know, so, I, I mean, you have one big question mark in location. Where is it going to be? U.S., Canada, or England? You have another big question mark of will the purse bid 
uh, will the fight be a deal cut before Perspid? And number three, does some outside, you know, uh, under the table, under the radar uh, promoter, if it does go to Perspid, win it? So, I, and, and, and let's make no mistake. They could just say forget it, and the WBO, or if Billy Joe Saunders comes up with another uh, fighter, the WBO could just approve it and you know uh, get something else for Saunders. So I mean for Lemieux. So it's all a smokescreen, just like the rest of the sport. Sometimes you know what, Sal? It's the same. Oh thing. yeah, it is, and and you know uh, I I think I think this fight's going to take place either in Vegas, Madison Square Garden, or Montreal, Canada. That's how I feel. Well, I think Canada, you know, listen, those guys do very well in Canada with the draw. Yeah. Um, if it's in Canada, it's very easy for them to also get U.S. television, whether it be HBO or Showtime or even ESPN. You never know. Um, you know, so logistically, it's it's much easier. And, um, I, you know, there's going to be a lot of money uh, for lot this money. fight. These guys are going to make a lot of money. The, the problem I see is Billy Joe Saunders. Billy Joe yeah. Saunders is, uh, I don't think he's that good, number one. No. And, and I, I think that, you know, he, his demands for money are, are outrageous. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. But uh, they got 30 days. So, uh, you know, if we're, uh, if we're still talking about this midway through November, that means it's going to be going to purse pit. Yeah, I think you're right, but uh, we'll see. Hopefully they can strike a deal or so. But uh, I like the fight. I want to see David Lemieux win this fight, and I think it'll be a heck of a uh, uh, scenario going into middle or late next year after uh, Canelo Alvarez and, and Triple G get back in the ring together. So that division really shaping up to be really uh, all eyes on it, you know? Well, apparently, according to the numbers and the statistics, all eyes – are on the December 9th matchup between Vasily Lomachenko and Guillermo Rigondeau. Um, according to uh, uh, the powers that be, this fight has sold out. Um, wow. Another indication that the boxing fans know exactly what are the good fights to watch and what are the ones not to watch. That's Vasily right. Lomachenko fighting uh, at Madison Square Garden against Rigondeau. December 9th wow. has been sold out. That's two months away. Uh, so that's a really good indicator, and I'm happy. Uh, about that uh, because, uh, you know, the fans love Lomachenko and, and Rigondeau is going to be a really tough test for Vasily Lomachenko. This guy uh, is the definition of sweet science, Rigondeau. So uh, uh, looking forward to that fight. Sal, hold that thought. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, we got some emails to read. And I got one that I'm so glad I got, man, and I can't wait to uh, read it. Um, if I don't get a chance now, we'll have to do it later. But uh, we'll be back in two. Billy C will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're listening and watching the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us today. And man, we're having, uh, everything's moving so slow today. Uh, don't know what's going on, if it's uh, everybody or, or just uh, our systems here, but... Uh, Anyway, uh, before we went to break, uh, we were talking about uh, 
uh, Lomachenko, Rigondeaux selling out so quick. There's another fight that was announced um, yesterday, and it's going to be taking place at one of my favorite places to watch a fight, and that's the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. Uh, and uh, they have a cruiserweight fight uh, between uh, Constantine uh, Bajarnu and uh, uh, a, a guy that I, I think most of you have heard of, Thabizio Manchunu. And I love this fight. These guys are, are evenly matched. This is one that I'm looking forward to. It's taking place November 25th uh, at uh, Mohegan Sun. So uh, cruiserweight division uh, here in the States. I love it. Uh, but uh, anyway, I, I, I got a couple of emails I want to read. Um, uh, but first, uh, this, this first one I, I, I want to jump forward to, to get. My man Thomas Newman uh, was a guy that used to be involved with this show. He's from England. And he used to do a, a British boxing report for us. And um, he was the guy, I, I've, I've, I've mentioned many times that I was turned on to, to uh, Tyson Fury way back when Tyson Fury first started uh, fighting. And it, I give credit to Thomas Newman for doing that for me. I mean, uh, he hooked me up with this guy. I, I believe it was after his third fight, sent me a tape of him. And, uh, I, you know, I followed him ever since, uh, good and bad. Uh, so I hadn't heard from Thomas Newman uh, a, a job. Uh, we, d we did meet in person one time. He did come over to the States. Uh, but uh, as a matter of fact, I'm, he came over to the States, I believe, on the same night that Dax and I, you know, here we are, members of the press, and we were sitting in some crappy seats. And Thomas <laughs> Newman was sitting in our seats down at the uh, uh, ringside uh, at, at the at the casino. But uh, anyway, he's a great guy. Uh and uh, he sent me an email uh, the other day, and, and he says, Hey, Billy C., a long time no speak. I hope it was all uh, and well with you, my friend. He says, uh, uh, I've been uh, checking in with your shows on YouTube Live, and they are superb as they always have been. He says, uh, question for you. Have you checked out Daniel Dubow? This guy is either 19 or 20 years old. And he has reportedly knocked out Anthony Joshua in sparring, plus uh, the Olympian uh, Lawrence Oakley uh, in sparring as well. I think there's big things ahead for this guy. Um, and he sent me a, uh, uh, a clip of him. And let me tell you something. Uh, I, have to, I have to say this. I had totally never heard of Daniel Dubai. Thanks for the email, Thomas. And uh, we hope we uh, hear from you live soon. Um, I got to be honest when I tell you I haven't uh, heard of him. Uh, and thanks to Thomas Newman, I did some research. Uh, he's currently 5-0 uh, and oh with five knockouts. Uh, his total rounds he's fought of his five fights are seven. So it gives you an idea oh, wow. of the punching he's got power. Some power. <laughs> uh, he's six foot five. Uh, he is uh, uh, a guy that just turned 20 years old um, in September. Uh, he's uh, a WBC Youth World Heavyweight title holder. Uh, he won that uh, when uh, he fought uh, in uh, uh, July of this year. He's uh, only fought 75 amateur fights with a record of 69 and 6. Um, but this guy has got some freakish punching power. Now, I don't know if he really knocked out Anthony Joshua in sparring or not. But this is definitely a heavyweight to keep your eye on. I love the heavyweight division, 
And uh, this is a guy I can't wait to see more of. Daniel Dubai, I looked up and uh, uh, not only did I watch the fight that uh, Thomas sent me, uh, but the uh, other fights were available as well. Uh, well, at least three of the five I, I was able to watch. And um, this guy is good. Now, how good is he? Well, his, he's 5-0 and with uh, five knockouts. His combined opponent's record, which you never see here in the States, Sal, all right, never, here's the never. guy. He's 5-0, and oh, just turned 20 years old, all right, was no world beater in the amateurs. I mean, yeah, 75 amateur fights are a lot, but 69-6 and six doesn't blow the doors off of anybody. Um, but uh, his combined opponent record is 40 wins and 10 losses are in, you in, in his five fights. I mean, I, listen, Oh, uh, you know, granted, uh, you know, you see some of these fighters that, that you know, they're coddled. For, I was just saying how Saddam Ali, for example, was coddled uh, up, you know, for so long. And they're fighting guys that don't have a chance. This is a heavyweight, 20 years old, who has fought a, in, his, in his pro debut. He fought a 1-0 and guy. His second fight, he fought a 3-1 and guy. His third fight, he fought a 13-5 and guy. In his fourth fight, he fought a 15-1 and guy. And in his last fight against A.J. Carter, 8-3. and So 40-10. and is his combined opponent record. That's impressive. What's your thoughts? I know you haven't had a chance to see him or anything like that, but what's your thoughts, man? Well, on an average, he's fighting. He, he His first five fights, he fought guys with average records of eight wins, two defeats. So, you know, that's that's a hell of a amount to, you know, I'm very impressed, very impressed. I want to see more of this guy, and uh, I'm, I'm glad he's now going to be on our radar. Because uh, I also always love the punchers, too, and uh, to see what they can do to turn a fight around um, one way or the other. So, yeah, that is pretty impressive. And, no, you'll never see that. You'll see uh, <clears throat> fighters in the States here, you know, going against when they make their pro debut. And they're the A side, if you will, uh, against fighters maybe 0-2, 1-2, uh, something like that, more or less this. But... Like I said, on average, if my math is doing uh, is correct right now, this guy's averaging eight and two records going into uh, these fights for the first five fights of his career. So, I think uh, I think we got to definitely keep our eye on this guy because he's a, he's going to be a good fighter to look for and see how he develops and see you know if he could turn into a world class fighter. He's got the power to do something. Well, as usual, I murder uh, people's names. I'm being corrected in the chat room. And if you're watching on another feed, the chat room we do monitor uh, is up on BillyCBoxing.com. Uh, it's pronounced du, Duwa, uh, Duba, Dubois. Du, du, hey, just call him Danny. I call him Danny. I call him Danny from the U.K., you know. But, uh, um, you know, you know the, bo the bottom line is he's 5-0, and, oh. and, and this is, and, and we're going to keep an eye on him. This is why I always say that the U.K. Uh, is carrying the sport of boxing on their back. These fighters are willing to fight. They're Damn, willing to yeah. fight early and often, and they're willing to yep. fight the tougher fights to prove they're the best, something that the U.S. fighters need to get back to. Otherwise, uh, like Dax has said in the past, uh, the U.S. is going to be left behind in the world of boxing. And uh, it's uh, it's not too far fetched to uh, uh, to see. And uh, speaking of Dax, he's going to be joining us here in, in a few minutes. Uh, so uh, uh, Sal's going to take a little uh, break uh, when uh, he comes on. But uh, uh, we'll uh, we'll get to Dax in a few minutes when he gets here. But I got another email to read uh, while we wait for Dax. 
And uh, Sal, we'll talk to you later. Uh, so uh, go have some coffee or whatever you do, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see you in a little bit. But uh, um, anyway, uh, what's going to happen? In uh, I got another email here, and uh, this email uh, says, uh, "Hey Billy," it's from my man Jesse. He says, "Hey Billy C." Uh, I think Vitaly versus jo- Joshua is a mismatch because of the age. Vitaly's too old and has not fought in five years. Yes, I would like him to take some tune-ups before Joshua. For example, Wilder or Parker. I think he can beat those guys pretty easily, but uh, don't think he can beat Anthony Joshua. Like I say, Billy, fighters after 40 are just not the same physically, uh, mentally, and emotionally. Therefore, young fighters facing these 40-year-old boxers shouldn't really count these fights if they win. They might be exceptions like Hopkins and Foreman and Holmes who rely on their experience and t- technique. Other than that, they don't really like. I don't really like to see it. Listen, that fight's not going to happen. Vitaly Klitschko has no. That was just him talking crap. Uh, Vitaly Klitschko has no reason to really come back. Um, and if he does, I think that that's a a slap in the face to Vladimir Klitschko. You know, that Vitaly, the older brother, has to step up and, and you know, save grace to the family. No, it's not going to happen. Um, and if it does, I do think that Vitaly gets a fast track uh, to uh, to one of the main fights uh, because um, it is what it is. You know, the WBC, especially the WBC, because he, uh, you know, held that title for so long, they would give him uh, uh, a fast track, I, I, I think. But uh, anyway... Um, Jesse goes on to say, I think Amir Khan should face uh, uh, someone like Jesse Vargas, uh, Kel Brook, uh, Ugas, Delorme, or maybe even Sammy Vasquez. No tune-up. Um, I think Amir Khan, sh- I agree with Jesse. I think he should also fight um, any one of those names that you mentioned, Vargas, uh, Brook, uh, Ugas, Delorme, or even Sammy uh, Vasquez. Um, and I don't think that Amir Khan... Uh, will want to tune up because he demands a lot of money too. Uh, so uh, uh, anyway, I I, uh, I agree with that. Uh, he says, uh, "What's your thoughts on Carlos Adames? Uh, is he deserving for a top twenty guy?" Listen, I, I I'm a strong believer of fighters that work their way up the ladder. Uh, so yes, I do think he's uh, deserving uh, of that. Uh, thanks for the email. I got another one here from Joel. And Joel says, uh, hey, Billy C., with the announcement that the WBO is ordering Bill Joe Sanders and David Lemieux to no- negotiate a fight, uh, I was wondering what you and Sal think. Will this fight go to purse bid? Can they have this fight take place in Montreal where Lemieux is a big star, or would Lemieux have to go to the U.K.? I think the least likely outcome will be for Golden Boy and Frank Warren being able to work a deal out to get this fight done. As I feel uh, Saunders thinks he's a superstar, the minimum purse bid is 200000 but I expect both guys to get much more than that. I'm a big fan of Lemieux and have been for years. Uh, I'm hoping he can get this WBO title shot. What's your thoughts? Um, I do agree that uh, Billy Joe Saunders, for some reason, uh, feels that... Uh, uh, he's a big star, demands money. I think as a result of that, he may be passed by. Um, he won't be stripped by November 9th when the purse bid is due by or when, when this is scheduled to go to purse bid if a deal doesn't uh, come through. But I could see this fight not coming to a deal, going to purse bid, and um, uh, having Billy Joe Saunders get stripped after that. Uh, so, I, you know, it would probably officially he would not get stripped uh, most likely until the end of the year. Uh, but I see that happening. Um, I hope it doesn't. 
And like we said before, I, you know, potentially this fight uh, could take place uh, uh, in uh, in any of the three locations, either uh, Canada, uh, England, or even here in the States. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. But uh, Billy Joe Saunders is no superstar uh, outside of his own mind. And uh, David Lemieux is a way bigger draw, uh, at least in Canada and in the States. And, and quite honestly, I think he would do pretty well uh, in uh, uh, in the uh, UK as well so uh, uh, I, that's my thought anyway uh, but uh, um, we got another uh, email here and um, uh, we'll see uh, see what happens uh, in a minute we were, we're scheduled to get Dax to come on he's running out of time here uh, but uh, anyway um, my man uh, coach says uh, hey Billy C I was stirred uh, by your show last week about dumbass Wilder's nonsense and comments about Mike Tyson as not uh, so as not to be hypocritical after my frequent cries against Floyd Mayweather and his picking and uh, choosing his phony 50-0 and 0 record. Uh, he, uh, he says, uh, uh, after a lot of reading and number tossing, I rediscovered uh, Marciano's 49-0 and 0 record was tied by a heavyweight in 1999. He says it was June 18th in 1999 uh, when uh, uh, Marciano's record was tied. It was tied by Denmark's Brian Nielsen when he stopped Tim Witherspoon to move to 49-0. Then, at age 34, Nielsen, choosing not to retire or pick a patsy like Floyd Mayweather picked Andre Berto for his number 49 and pro-debuting McGre- pro McGregor for his number 50, Nelson battled on losing uh, his fight number 50 to uh, uh, Dickie Ryan, who was 47-4 and four at the time. Nielsen then went on to fight 12 more years, avenging his loss to Ryan, then retiring with a record of 64-3 and three with 43 knockouts. Uh, the two additional losses came to uh, Mike Tyson in 2001 and Evander Holyfield in his last bout, uh, May 7, 2011. Um, he says, I love the show. It keeps me reading. I was ringside for the fight against uh, Evander Holyfield in 2011. It was held in Copenhagen, Denmark. And uh, I had forgotten all about this and didn't even recall the, uh, you know, uh, the, the, it being publicized that he tied the record. Uh, but uh, thanks uh, to Coach for uh, getting us up to date on that. And uh, just to go to show you, the only significance in 49-0 and 0 was for the heavyweights. Joining us right now. Uh, to give us his thoughts on the Kodo Saddam Ali fight is uh, my man Dax Khan. What's up, Dax? Good morning. How are you? I was waiting for a commercial break. Okay. Well, you didn't get one. That's why you're on. <laughs> but uh, what's going on, man? Uh, what's your thoughts on the Kodo uh, Saddam Ali fight? I know that you uh, actually were going to talk about this before it hit the press on Monday, but due to uh, some technical issues like uh, you guys had a storm, those damn storms, uh, blew you out of the water Monday. So now uh, the rest of the world heard about it. But uh, give us your thoughts on Kodo Saddam Ali. Okay, you know, last week I stated that, you know, my opinion, David Lemieux, Miguel Cotto, a bad idea. It wasn't going to end out well for Miguel Cotto. I also said that Lemieux versus Billy Joe Saunders was becoming a close reality. Um, you know, we – as the um, it was mentioned earlier, you know something, we crucified Floyd Mayweather for his choice of Andre Berto as his last opponent. Uh, Miguel Cotto should 
be no different. He should get the same backlash for choosing Saddam Ali. You know, I, I said that I'd like to see Miguel Cotto face a, uh, a winnable but mid-level incredible opponent. Saddam Ali, whose biggest win is over uh, Luis Carlos Abreu. Um, he fell miserably against Jesse Vargas in his biggest fight to date. You know, he doesn't quite fit that mold. But, you know, most are unhappy more about the fact that this is going to be an HBO headliner than um, the choice of opponent. And it's understandable. We want to see great fighters go out in great fights. Uh, Saddam Ali has not accomplished a fraction of what Andre Berto did as a professional. So we're disappointed and it's understandable. But also, Miguel Cotto is a shot fighter. I've had this talk with people continuously over the last week. Um, I get the same replies every single time. Some argue furiously and tell me I'm crazy. Uh, Miguel Cotto just won a 154-pound title against uh, Yoshihiro Kamagai. And then they proceed to go backwards. They talk about uh, his winning the middleweight title against Sergio Martinez, 12 rounds with uh, Canelo Alvarez. They cover his 154-pound title reign. You know, they talk about uh, blowing out his revenge against Mayorga and, and uh, Margarito, you know, and on and on. But, you know, in 2015 against Canelo, if you notice, Miguel Cotto, he didn't fight like a guy who wanted to retain his title. He fought like somebody who wanted to survive and, and make it through on his feet. Um, he struggled in his fight against Kamagai. Kamagai is a guy who lost to Alfonso Gomez, a fighter that Miguel Cotto totally whitewashed and blew out in 2008. Uh, Miguel Cotto took a lot of time in between that Canelo Alvarez and that Kamagai fight to decide what he wants to do. Um, he could have came back sooner, and if he had any inclination that he would go on, the performance in that Kamagai fight pretty much solidified exactly what you know his future was going to be. Um, people forget. Miguel Cotto has never been the same since the Manny Pacquiao fight. He took a horrendous beating against uh, Antonio Margarito. He came back. He beat uh, Michael Jennings. Um, he defended that belt again, uh, for the WBO title. I think he defended that belt against Joshua Clotty. That was the last win against an A-level opponent, not at a catchweight and not injured. 2009 against Joshua Clotty. Uh, you know, Miguel Cotto, ever since then, his career has been you know carefully handled. People don't talk about the Austin Trout fight. Uh, people don't talk about the fact that, you know, that's the first time we ever seen a shy Miguel Cotto, a guy who was not willing to engage. A lot of people say it was smart boxing, but you know something, that was a worn out Miguel Cotto, and that's what we have now. He's a great fighter who just has a hard time letting go that we see with a lot of the greats. But you know, Miguel Cotto, he's a 41, he's and 5, he's got 33 knockouts. He's fought the very best of this era. Um, he's a guy who's earned his bones, maybe more than any other fighter in or around this uh, his division in this era. If anybody truly wants to know exactly what type of beatings Miguel Cotto has taken in the ring if they forget there's a video bill that floats around um sung by johnny cash it's uh, titled hurt it's a tribute to all the fighters and the beatings that they've taken in the ring of this era uh there's a section in there that's just dedicated to miguel cotto and when you see some of the beatings that miguel cotto has i uh, taken over these last four or five years you can truly understand what type of effect that's had on his body um, you know the sport has passed him by these divisions at 154 and 160 pounds fighters aren't what they used to be in those divisions these guys are monsters just like the heavyweight division where the average heavyweight is six five or above same thing with the welterweights and 
a junior welterweight. Look at the Charlotte brothers, for example. We want to see him have one more great fight. Every great fighter wants one last great fight. Miguel Cotto knows, Bill, this is where I am now. I have nothing more. He's accepted this. Saddam Ali is at his maximum where he is right now physically. He accepts that. He has to deal with that. This is going to sell in Madison Square Garden. Saddam Ali is from New York. Miguel Cotto always does great at the uh, Garden. He didn't entertain the Mikey Garcia fight. Remember, Mikey Garcia offered to fight Miguel Cotto for his last fight. Why? Because Miguel Cotto knows, even with the advantages of fighting at the higher weight classes, he doesn't have it in him to face a Mikey Garcia anymore. No matter what the critics say, I think Miguel Cotto in his career has definitely spilled enough blood for his fans. He's definitely let it all hang out into the ring. I don't say it often, but you know what? We have to give Miguel Cotto a pass. He's earned every penny. He doesn't fight for the money. He's given us every penny's worth that we've ever spent on entertainment. You know what? Win or lose, let's see Miguel Cotto go out on his feet, going out against anybody else, at this, going, facing anybody else at this point in time in his career, I just think would be detrimental to Cotto. You know, it's time. You know, I, I don't disagree with your points at all, uh, Dax. But my question is, go out now. You know, he could retire right now as a champ without the fight. The fight is actually not helping him at all. Um, I, and I agree. We all knew he wasn't going to take a tough fight. And I don't care that the press says, oh, uh, Danny Garcia, Mikey Garcia, turn down fights. You know, well, you know, they don't tell you the reason. It was probably not enough money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the Saddam Ali fight, although I do think Saddam Ali is, uh, can box and everything else, the guy's never fought in that division. Uh, I think it's more of a knock on the WBO. And quite honestly, you know, he just wants to make a payday. He, meaning Miguel Cotto, uh, one more shot to go out on his own. I, why do it? You know, if, if he's not going to, you know, really go out in blazes and try and pick a major opponent, at least an opponent that uh, is significant uh, in, in the junior middleweight division, then why bother? He could retire as a champ just like uh, your boy Lennox Lewis did and just like so many others have before where he walks out on top as a champion. Anything can happen, Dax, even though we all think that you know he should have no problem with Saddam Ali. I mean, something could happen. He could lose that fight. He could get robbed on the scorecards. He could legitimately age overnight. I mean, uh, you know, then what? I think he's, he's pushing. A- I think he's pushing the envelope here, Dax. He's already aged, and that's the point. He's already aged. Uh, you know, he turned down Mikey Garcia. Mikey Garcia didn't turn down him. All right, you know, this is a Mikey Garcia with one fight at 140 pounds. Miguel Cotto understands. And, you know, maybe, you know, the WBO, you know, there's rumor, too, that, you know, that title isn't going to be up in this fight. You know, there's a strong possibility that is not going to be up on this in there. You know, that this fight is, uh, that title is going to be vacated. Or, you know, he's going to get a pass. He's, you know, he doesn't have to defend that title. You know, the WBO, you know, they, um, they are what they are. You know, they're, they're, they're quickly sinking themselves as, as a uh, reputable sanctioning body. You know, Miguel Cotto, this is what he has left. That's my point. This is all he has, a Saddam Ali, and you bring a very valid point. You know something? Saddam Ali, he's younger, he's fresher. He could always outpoint Cotto on the cards. So, you know, this, this, this is it. it. It's what he has, and unfortunately, we see it a lot of times. We see it so many times in this sport that guys walk out or they want that one last fight and they can't manage to let it go. He doesn't need a payday. Um, you know, his family, if you watch over the years, you know, uh, the looks on his wife, Michelle, and his children's faces at some of the beatings Miguel Cotto has taken you know, are heartbreaking, and I think, you know, that's another uh, factor inside his decision. He doesn't want to end his career like that. He doesn't want his family to 
see him carried out like that. You know, it, he's torn between the warrior mentality and he's torn between, you know, having to make that decision on how he wants to end his career. It is what it is. Again, for the last time, I don't do it often. I give Miguel Cotto a pass. I'd rather see him fight a guy like Saddam Ali and then see him go in there against uh, a Lemieux or a Triple G or a Charlo or somebody like that just to entertain the fans. And, you know, see Miguel Cotto just end up in a bad way. There's, there's no need for it. If he would retire now, that would be great. But, you know, he's not going to. So, you know what? Let him go out the way he wants to go out. The man has earned it. If anybody in this era, Miguel Cotto has earned it. There's never been a bad Miguel Cotto fight. Um, Dax, uh, I, I got about a minute, and we'll get you on later in the week for some of the other big fights that we talked about earlier. But um, Floyd Mayweather being heckled and hassled at a Knicks game uh, last night. And, um, you know, I... Bottom line, uh, you know, he's got his cronies around him and, and he's being heckled for being scared of Triple G, not fighting the right fights, etc., etc. I said earlier on the show that I think that this is going to happen to him now. I think that people are going to finally, you know, voice their, their displeasure with Floyd and his, his choice of opponents over the years. And I think that it may drive him to fight again, you know. And when he uses the, the, the money as, a, as a, a defense mechanism, I think it's a joke. What's your quick thoughts? Will Floyd Mayweather fight again, or can he just ignore this kind of stuff? He's a celebrity. He's not, you know, he just happens to be a boxer. But, you know, he's a celebrity. That's going to happen. He's high profile, not just in boxing, but he's on uh, talk shows, he's on MTV, and so on and so forth. You have to expect those type of things. These same people that are heckling Floyd Mayweather are also the same ones that praise Floyd Mayweather on social media. They're also the same ones that would get uh, ridiculously mad every time somebody criticized Floyd Mayweather, or they were the ones that were ridiculously mad for his choice of opponent, as you stated, but they'd buy that pay-per-view anyway. So, you know, you know what? You didn't like it. You had your opportunity. You shouldn't watch me fight. You shouldn't have paid your money. You know what? Now that I'm retired, don't sit there and heckle me. Worry about somebody else. My career is done, and that's that. Floyd can turn around. He has nothing left to prove. And uh, the people that do that, that just shows their class of a fan. That shows their class as a person. You're going to heckle a retired fighter? Come on, grow up. You call yourself a grown person, you're going to sit there and do that? Grow up. Do something with yourself. Take night classes. Do something with yourself besides heckling somebody like that. I hope Floyd, somebody does sit there and uh, get stupid, and they heckle him, and they go overboard. Call the cops, have them arrested, make an example of them. Well, you know, I, my, my point, what you just said, I would say to Floyd, you know, why does Floyd engage? The, the fan, he, because he's a celebrity and because he's a known figure, people are always going to have beer muscles and talk smack. But Floyd lowers himself and, and puts himself on that level. It's his mistake. It's his fault, in my opinion. He needs to be a guy that just keeps walking and doesn't have his bouncers and, and bodyguards go over and say something. But uh, anyway, Dax. It's that I, reason why. It's that reason why he has to have them because the man can't go someplace without. That's why. Right, right. Hey, listen, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you later in the week, get your thoughts on uh, the other fights. We're going to take a short break when we come back. We're scheduled to have the blast from the past. Don't go nowhere. Billy C will be right back. Part of the Billy C Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy, Billy C. C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're 
back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C Show. Glad you could join us today. And uh, it's that time again, uh, one of our longest-running segments, uh, The Blast from the Past. And this week's Blast from the Past is being sponsored uh, by KOFantasyBoxing.com. Check it out. Join today, www.kofantasyboxing.com. And also the Title Bout Championship computer game, uh, which uh, you could download right now as you're watching or listening to the show by visiting our website, BillyCBoxing.com, and click on the Title Bout uh, banner. Uh, today's Blast from the Past features, as per request, and if you do have a request for a Blast from the Past, just uh, drop me an email, Billy at Talkin Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G dot com. Features a uh, former world champion, uh, a guy that I'm going to like because he stayed in the same division for his whole career, and he was a Boxing Hall of Famer, and uh, his name, well, Umberto Gonzalez, here to join, joining me. Here, now, to tell us all about Humberto Gonzalez is my man uh, who's just fresh off his makeup chair is my man Alex Perpali. Ooh, looking good. Hey, looking good. Looking good, man. Oh, what's up, brother? Thank you. Yeah, wardrobe's not great today, but um, the uh, makeup and hair. Right on. Spot good, on. good deal. She does a great job. She does. She does a great job. I, I would, I, you know, I know Willie was uh, in front of me in the chat room, but I would definitely take her. So, you know, send her to me if you're firing her. <laughs> yeah, um, we got a really good guy today, and this is a guy who, uh, uh, if you're a frequent or at least recent um, uh, attendee of Canastota, uh, you've probably seen him. I think he. I think they were both up there this year. Uh, he got in uh, at the same time, the same year of his uh, number one rival, Michael Carbajal. Uh, and I'm pretty sure they both, because I was reading an article that there was going to be a reunion uh, at, at this year's Hall of Fame. I assume there was. Unfortunately, I have not been there two years in a row. Uh, but I did see him get in. Uh, Humberto Chiquita Gonzalez, uh, he got in the same year that uh, Michael Carbajal got in, which was pretty cool to see uh, two guys that... Um, you know, had brought the best out of each other, getting that honor the same year. You know, you know, you mentioned Michael Carbajal, and, and that was a guy, not that I want to get off the topic of uh, Chiquita Gonzalez, but uh, Michael Carbajal, I, I thought that, you know, despite, uh, aside, let me choose a different word, aside from the flyweights and junior flyweights of yesteryear when, when there was only really just a flyweight division, you know, the Pancho Villas, et cetera, uh, when it was a popular division, it kind of went off the map for a long, long time until Michael Carbajal uh, came around. I mean, I thought he put it back on the map. And uh, his dance partner that, uh, like you said, landed them both in the Hall of Fame was this guy, Umberto Gonzalez. Tell us about him. Yep, Umberto Chiquita Gonzalez. Uh, one, of the, one of the nicknames uh, you hear for him, uh, and he's introduced in, in front of, of uh, the first... Um, uh, fight with Carbajal actually is uh, Carnicerito, uh, Carnicero, uh, which I think, which I believe means butcher, uh, and that is one the family business. Uh, he owns he owns a butcher shop now, uh, as well as uh, another successful business. But um, he was born uh, March twenty fifth, nineteen sixty six. He was just five foot one inches tall. Uh, he's fought mostly as a softball, but he was able to switch back and forth. 
and fought at light, light flyweight. So we're talking about 108 pounds. And just to give you an idea how big that is, uh, 108 pounds is um, 150 times heavier than a can of soup. It's uh, 200 pound, uh, 200 times heavier than a hamster, and uh, 350 times heavier than a D battery. Um, but uh, basically, <laughs> hey, hey, you know what? You know what? You know what? I really like the fact that you you did so much research on the weight comparisons because that, that's good. That's good. You know, and I I, I'll give you I'll give you I another comparison. Like good size of this, and I said, you know, I wonder if there is a site that. Uh, that gives you any idea of like how how much is 108 pounds well, and sure enough there is well i'll give you uh, an idea 108 pounds is the weight of my one leg that you know my thigh weighs about 108 pounds so that's how light that is you know so uh uh anyway um, it's 150 times heavier than the human heart <laughs> <laughs> there you go man you're a plethora of, of comparisons today but, uh, but yes, he, uh, Chiquita Gonzalez. Chiquita, from what I saw, that nickname means little girl. So I'm not going to touch that one. I don't know what's up. Oh, that. I thought he liked bananas. Uh, I thought he was a banana fan. <laughs> Chiquita well, see, yeah, Chiquita B Banana. Wasn't that was her, yeah. her gimmick? She yeah, was like a little girl. Exactly. Well, well it was not a girl. girl. She was older. She had yeah, the she bananas was, in her hair. And, and she was well endowed. But anyway, we, we were getting off topic here. <laughs> um. It was bananas, not melons. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, yeah, Chiquita Gonzalez turned professional at 18 years of age uh, in Mexico City. He fought uh, quite a few of his uh, early fights were Mexico City. Uh, this was a guy that uh, he was sort of had those sloping shoulders, um, real uh, powerful puncher, um, and uh, was able to fight on the inside, on the outside. Uh, very, very quick hands. And you're right, uh, him and Carbajal brought a lot of fame, instant fame, to this uh, weight class. Um, you know, these are small men. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's almost like it's, um, I don't know, the, the heavyweight division has always driven the sport. Um, but at the same time, there's thrills in every division. Um, these guys packed incredible amounts of uh punch in those 108 pounds some of his fights two of his fights were fights of the year uh they were both two of his losses actually uh were ring magazine fights of the year one of them had a round of the year as well uh, we'll get to them they were amazing uh he had a, his first defeat was um was a thriller against a filipina a fi filipino fighter uh named pasqua who um really upset him that was almost like a buster douglas type upset uh so yeah he he was exciting uh, a very exciting fighter to watch uh whether he won or lost um but like like i said for a while there he was absolutely peerless he was 24 and 0 when he defeated huel wu lee by 12 round unanimous decision on the road in uh, chonju south korea that's when he picked up the wbc light flyweight title which was the title that he held, uh, the only title that he held, and he but he regained it. Um, he was twenty four seven and zero when he first fought at the Great Western Forum in Englewood, California, where he fought quite a bit. And uh, there he stopped uh, Luis Monzote in three rounds. Um, he was a lot of fun destroyer. Uh, at one point, KO Magazine before he went into the fight with Pasqua. 
KO Magazine called him the most destructive puncher. Uh, number one, over Mike Tyson, over uh, Michael Moore, who at that time was a 175-pound destroyer, and Nigel Benn. So he definitely uh, could crack. Now, speaking of Mike Tyson, wasn't wasn't Humberto Gonzalez mentioned uh, during Tyson's career as a forgotten fighter because of Mike Tyson? For some reason, I remember that. And either that or I'm confusing it with Carbajal. I, I think Gonzalez was more known as a puncher than Carbajal, right? Yeah. Uh, Gonzalez was the was more of the puncher. Carbajal was the boxer. That's what made that first fight so awesome was that um, it uh, Carbajal really, uh, even uh, at first, it was against the best wishes of his brother, Danny, uh, who trains him. Uh, he didn't want to... He, he, at first, didn't want him to exchange with uh, with Gonzalez, but Chiquita uh, was crowding him, pressing him so much. Uh, he owned the outside, and he was able to catch Carbajal with uh, that long left hand and put him down early. Uh, and Carbajal actually had more success in close. And um, well, success is a relative term because he was getting clobbered. Gonzalez was hammering him. And then Carbajal comes back uh, to win by KO in just one of the more one of the most exciting uh, title fights. Um, but yeah, for, I, I'm sorry we we didn't mention the Pasqua fight. That fight as well was another thriller. And he just he he attributed that he was interviewed uh, by the Ring magazine's Coyote Duran. Uh, I think this was in 2015, and he said that yeah, you know, he just underestimated Pasqua. He, he totally underestimated. If you watch the fight, it almost it almost starts like um, kind of like a Rocky movie, uh, wasn't it? I think it was in the third one. Yeah, when he first fights um, uh, Clubber Lang, he comes charging out like he wants to just get things over, get things done early. Because yeah, Mickey's sick in the back and everything, and he just starts wailing on uh, uh, you know Lang in that first round, and then pretty much runs out of gas. Well, that's kind of what happens with uh, Chiquita Gonzalez versus, Gonzalez versus Pasqua. Uh, Gonzalez really makes a really forceful rush in that first round, first minute of the first round, and Pasqua meets him. He's a taller, sharper, bonier guy, um, but he stands right in there with Gonzalez. It's a tremendous fight um, and a crazy shootout that starts the fourth. Gonzalez is cut. Uh, when he's put down and he rises from the knockout, his face is just a mask of blood. The cut's really bad. It's it's amazing. I mean, that's his first loss. It, it really is like, um, you know, I, I don't think it's a 42 to 1 upset like the Buster Douglas, but it was a big upset for the time because he had been a destroyer. You know, he was a destroyer and an exciting fighter. Um, his defense was uh, not that great. And like some of these big punchers, uh, his own chin was the demise. But after that fight, what, what I admire about him and what I think separated him was uh, after the Pasca fight, he actually fought a guy that was extremely talented, not once but twice. And this is another thing that I love about these fighters that fight 
the same fighter more than once, and when they find the, the right dance partners, it becomes something special. And although we are talking about the Michael Carbajal fights, in which really only one of them was decided by a knockout, the other two could have gone either either way. The the um, the Melchor Cobb Castro fights, he fought him twice. They were good fights as well, going the distance. And uh, uh, I, I thought that uh, I thought that he should get some credit. Uh, for those two fights, because Cobb Castro uh, was a talented fighter then and then even beyond. Towards the end of his career, he made uh, another run uh, at, a, at, a, at a belt. So I, I, I think that uh, I think he should get some credit for those, those two fights as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he, he, he was the top in the division, and that was one of the things that was, um, uh, I, I don't know, you know, it, it, it's easy to forget about, well, I mean, not if you're a hardcore boxing fan, you don't forget about uh, a classic fight like uh, uh, Carvajal Gonzalez won. Um, but uh, I don't know, I, a lot, I, at least myself, I do kind of gloss over with some of these lighter weight thrillers. Uh, in favor of the Hagler Hearns, the the Leonard um, Leonard Duran, I mean Duran Leonard, uh, you know Duran Buchanan fights like that. I, it's very easy to forget about some of these. But um, yeah, three uh, three fights on this guy's record are are classics. Um, well, I mean I don't think people probably talk about the Pasqua fight, but watching that fight again, it was it was a thriller. Um, the next, the so that first Carvajal fight was absolutely amazing. And one of the things that was interesting about it, uh, I don't think we've seen this too many times. I think we have seen it with maybe Tyson Lewis or something. But uh, for some reason, uh, there was well, the reason was that uh, Carvajal's team looked at uh, Michael Buffer as a uh, good luck charm. So that fight actually it was on Showtime and it utilized two ring announcers. So Jimmy Lennon did the bulk of the announcing, and then when it was time for Carvajal to be introduced, Michael Buffer stepped in. Uh, you know they were both there in the ring, both with mics, and then Michael Buffer introduced Carvajal, and then it flipped back to Lennon. Uh, so it was a little weird, but um, you know hey, it was a little. Uh, little diva-ish, if you will, for Carvajal at the time, but he was, uh, you know, he was, the, he was the star. Like you said, he brought a lot of excitement to those lighter weight division because he was an American. Um, you know, he's from New Mexico, so that idea that uh, America now had, and he was going up against a, a huge, dangerous puncher, um, and it was. It was instantly a thriller. Uh, they got off right to a, uh, a, a forceful start, and at the end of the first... Um, uh, Danny, uh, Carvajal's brother in the corner, warned him about being too close. And then, boom, in the second, Carvajal gets dropped by a long left hand. Uh, and then, by the, so they change strategy. Car goes back to the corner. Now Car Car uh, Danny's telling him, you know what, get in close. Because in close, he's safe from that long power left of um of Gonzalez, so uh, it was a, a fascinating little shift. It almost didn't work because, yeah, they were getting. Uh, Carbajal was really was behind. Behind, he gets dropped again uh, at the start of the fifth. The fifth round is just an amazing round. Uh, you got Gonzalez switching back and forth from orthodox to southpaw, and um, at the uh, start of uh, what is it? It's round number. Um, 
I'm sorry, I guess just got lost here. At the start of round number seven, um, Carvajal just explodes on uh, on Gonzalez and takes him out and staggers him. And, uh, uh, you know, the knockout is a crazy one. It's one of those fall forward, face forward uh, type knockouts. You know, the, the thing that impresses me the most about Humberto Gonzalez is after that fight, and, and keeping in mind, Michael Carvajal was undefeated uh, in that fight. You know, um, uh, Gonzalez had two uh, let's get you a couple of wins fights again. Uh, got back in the ring against uh, Carvajal, who had since fought uh, again. Uh, so now he's 30-0. and 0. And uh, they fight in uh, Carvajal's uh, uh, adopted hometown of Inglewood, uh, uh, California. And uh, Gonzalez wins, all right, a close fight. And with the exception of the next fight, which was a stay-busy fight uh, for uh, Gonzalez, the final four fights of his career were against nothing less than top opposition, including uh, the third and final fight against Michael Carbajal. I mean, he fought Juan Domingo Cordova, uh, Michael Carbajal, Jesus Zuniga, and then his last fight against a guy I won't even try to pronounce his name, in which he lost his title, uh, being stopped in the seventh round, and then do, did what, you know, I can't help but admire from, from uh, you know, fighters that have reached the top uh, and, and even, even beyond just the championship uh, level where they become, uh, you know, enshrined in a Hall of Fame like, like Gonzalez did. He walked away not to come back again. And for some reason, and, and more and more as time goes on, Alex, I, I have a soft spot uh, for, for these fighters. I, I don't know if I respect them more or if I respect more the guy that wants to give it the, the one more shot. Uh, I, you know, I, I just think that, that people have a tendency to remember that last performance, and I don't think they do themselves justice by trying to come back. Even though he lost, you know, uh, unlike what Cotto's going to do and, and, you know, try to get in the ring with a guy he feels won't be competitive with him, sort of like every fight that Floyd Mayweather's been in, um, you know, I, I, I got to give Gonzalez credit for walking away and not coming back. What, what was your thoughts on the final uh, fights of his career after uh, uh, he regained the title from Carvajal? I agree with you. I think that there is something to that that idea of uh, walking away, uh, just you know, completely finished, no ties, no no little comebacks. No, I wanted to see what it was, uh, what it would be like again, you know. Uh, and to go out, even though it was on a defeat, he went out on a brilliant defeat, uh, um, a fight of the year again. And uh, I did. I wrote down a phonetic spelling of this guy's name because I'd never watched this fight. And again, this is another one that's an absolute classic. And I, I, like I said, I, I am somebody who just loves Hagler Hearns and always thinks about that fight as like the pinnacle of boxing. This fight is tremendous. Uh, and his name is uh, Saman Sorjadarong. Uh, and he is a bad out, a badass, and it, it really it starts blazing. Uh, another just furious start. Uh, great round one. There's a big overhand right from Chiquita in the first that uh, causes uh, Sor, Sor, Sor to reach out with both hands and sort of steady himself. 
Uh, and then in the second round, uh, he uh, Gonzalez drops him. So it really looks like, oh, well, you know, Chiquita's on his way to finishing this guy off. Uh, then in the big head, but, and again, this is another thing that I love about boxing. Uh, everything that you've seen, uh, everything that has happened, happens again. Um, and in this fight, there's a big headbutt in the final seconds of round two, and uh, Sorjata wrong is cut. But when they look at the replay of the knockdown, the replay shows that actually the knockdown had was sort of set up by a headbutt. And if you remember, years later, uh, when Mosley fought Vernon Forrest, that's exactly what happened to him, too. Uh, when he gets in trouble in the second round, Right before he gets rocked, badly, badly rocked and put down, he gets, uh, they collide, the heads collide. Um, so I thought that was interesting because, you know, again, it's always fascinating to see how history repeats. Um, but yeah, again, there's another, it's, a, it's another bloody one, a back and forth fight. Uh, round seven is round, uh, round of the year. And um, it's, it's one that I had never seen before, I'm ashamed to say. Uh, that's something I think that uh, I should probably spend some time trying to do is just go through Ring Magazine's uh, award-winning fights of the year. And this is one I had never seen, uh, and it's a terrific one. You know, uh, I, I just want to say this. Um, like you, I've always used the, the, the uh, Hagler-Hearns fight as a, uh, as, as a point of you know the greatest uh three rounds of action i ever saw live etc etc that was until we filmed our first uh billy c's uh, boxing revisited which uh, i'll give a shameless plug it will be on uh, amg tv beginning uh next month um when i watched gene fulmer against benny kid perrette alex if you haven't seen this fight it's available up on youtube um uh, we will put the revisited up after it airs, but um, it, it's already up there. That all I'm going to say is this: that Benny Kid Perrette and Gene Fulmer was ten rounds of Hagler Hearns. Wow, unbelievable! Anyway, um, Humberto Gonzalez, uh, how did he do in uh, the title bout? Um, in title bout, he did very well, as you would expect. Uh, like I said, oh, uh, there is a little video. It's on Spanish, but uh, YouTube has a pretty cool, and it's not too bad, uh, translation feature. And um, I think this is another thing, Billy C., about what's cool about seeing these guys end the career and walk away. They end up a lot more intact, uh, even though this guy had absolutely brutal fights that very likely were life-changing, debilitating-type fights. Uh, he seems pretty sharp. Um, and I think that maybe that, you know, he just, he, when it was over, it was over. His reaction time was dulled enough. That was it. Um, and, uh, in this video, you see him with all the cuts of meat. The other, the other thing that, um, you know, selling, uh, in the, the butcher shops and his father taught him to be really smart with money. And he also, uh, rents out meeting spaces for like parties and board meetings. But in the title about championship boxing game, so he's been smart with money. And like I said, you can't see him up in Canastota. Uh, in the game, uh, I put him in against the number one guy at 108 pounds. Um, that's Pedro Guevara. And when they first fight, 
Uh, Chiquita wins a 10th round TKO, 1 minute and 58 seconds of the 10th. He had Guevara down in the first and the second, and then puts him down two times in the 10th before it's waved, in the 10th before it's waved off. Uh, when they fight 100 times, uh, Umberto Chiquita Gonzalez gets the better of things, as one would expect. 89 big wins, 11 defeats, 79 knockouts, and in his 11 wins, uh, Pedro Guevara had nine KOs. 80 wins, 79 by knockout. Just goes to show you uh, <laughs> uh, how good he was, right? But uh, yeah, anyway, he was a puncher. Great job as usual. Umberto Chiquita Gonzalez, our blast from the past this uh, week. Uh, in oh, and, I, and I should mention, I didn't mention this before. Um, not only was Carvajal the Hall of Famer, uh, that he was two and one against, but he was also he was one and zero oh against uh, Jung Ku Chang, who was another Hall of Famer who I didn't wasn't aware of. Um, he um, uh, he fought uh, in uh, eighteen uh, world title fights uh, with a record of fifteen and three, seven coming by knockout. Um, and uh, of uh, his eighteen fights, uh, which were world title fights, uh, twelve were against either current or former world champions, which is pretty impressive. He was a former world uh, junior flyweight champion, had a record of 43 wins, 30 by knockout. He only had three losses in which he was stopped three times, had a KO percentage of 65%, 272 rounds. He was inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame. I sound like Harold Letterman. On, uh, two th in 2006, and uh, he was our blast from the past today. Great job as usual, Alex, and hopefully we can get uh, you on later in the week to talk about the fight schedule for this weekend. Yeah, there's quite a bit this weekend, isn't there? Yeah, there's some good ones. So uh, great job and as what? usual. So, so I don't understand. Fox Sports and Showtime are going to be uh, simulcasting one of the shows this weekend on Saturday? Um, or is, or is, you got you – got, uh, um, the um, the Fox is the Leo Santa Cruz and Mares Gutierrez, uh, and, and then which is to show and time. then it's Lara uh, Goshua Lubin. I think I, I don't think they're the same card. I don't think no, it's the same. They're in different. Same, um, yeah, different locations. Different so states. yeah, they're going against each other. PBC really wants to take over. But uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> Alex, we'll talk to you later. How's that going? Yeah, yeah, we'll talk to you later in a week, my man. Take care, really see. That's Alex Papali doing a great job. Hey, listen, I'm going to take a short break. When I come back, we'll have Sal Rocky Senecola back with us. And uh, all I could say is uh, don't go nowhere. Billy C will be right back. Part of the Billy C Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy, Billy C. C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're listening and watching the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us today. And uh, joining me once again... What? Hmm. I guess it's Sal's band. No, it's me. Joining me once again 
is my man Sal Rocky Senecola. That's that's what <laughs> hey, you I get. used I used to have a backup band. That's that's what you get for hitting the we, wrong button. I was like, what 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 what's Sal doing playing uh, playing yeah. the music? But listen, I got some more uh, news, man. I got some more I news. I can't wait. I can't wait. Um, Let's go. I, I think you might be happy. No, I'm not. It was announced it? yesterday, or uh, uh, was it yesterday or the day before? It was, it, it, yeah, I think it was late after the show we did on Monday. Okay. But HBO announced that they have signed Jim Lampley, 68, excuse me, 68-year-old Jim Lampley, uh, as the main guy for HBO boxing, whether it's the uh, regular HBO, whether it's the uh, championship, HBO After Dark, or HBO Pay-Per-View, and his show, The Fight Game, HBO has officially signed him to a multi-year deal to continue being the number one guy for HBO, which only means we got to be stuck with him and his lack of ability to call a fight without punch stats. What's your thoughts, Sal Rocky Senecola? Whoa, I'll tell you, Billy C. Uh, I was hoping they would slide you and I in there somewhere, but uh, oh, now we got to talk to Jim Lampley about that. But the bottom line is, you know, when Jim Lampley was coming up and when he was first make, making his presence known on HBO, I thought he was great. I thought he was fantastic. And I loved listening to him, thought he called it like it was. And now I know his last performances have totally relied on the punch stat formulas and everything else. And we're not hearing the old Jim Lampley that I really grew to uh, appreciate and respect and, and admire. Uh, hey, we never know. I mean, he's, he's, he signed on. Maybe it might take uh, some new direction. Uh, I'll give him a, I'll give him a shot at that. Maybe just maybe, we don't know what happens behind the the, uh, the contracts in a room. Maybe he had to do something on a format to give it a try or to uh, earn his spot back on the way it was. Now that he's got it back, maybe we'll see him a little bit with his leash off. I don't know. I'm just keeping I'm, – I'm, I'm being a devil's advocate. I always am on both sides of the aisle. Well, I, I like him. I think But that I, I don't like his textbook. I – agree with you about when you know uh, at one point he was he was good that point is gone um you know i i don't think his ability uh to call a fight without punch stats uh or uh his ability to recognize a good referee is there anymore i mean uh you know he he doesn't even comment on fights uh, as a matter of fact he was watching a fight recently and uh, you know uh, had to change his opinion of the round based on the, what he was reading on the punch stats i mean he, he was surprised that the punch stats were the way they were and who he had thought won the round you know and, and he basically changed his mind which is ridiculous and as far as the way they uh, you know act, give the accolades to um, specific referees and, and judges, and it's just gotten so old. You know, I, I think boxing has a tendency to just stay uh, without changes too long. And then when they make a change, it, it seems to be an adverse change, a, a change that really shouldn't um, be made to begin with, you know. So I, I don't know. You know, all of the sports try to keep up with fan bases and, and the modern times and stuff, and and I think, 
I think that boxing is behind. And um, one of the reasons is some of the announcing teams need to be jumbled. Uh, they need to be redone. You know, Jim Lampley, I think that whole HBO crew is garbage. Garbage. Um, I think that the Showtime uh, crew has to, you know, tar and feather and hang and do whatever they want to uh, Mario Ronaldo. Uh, this, that guy is uh, terrible. Um, but uh, uh, the rest of the guys are okay, you know. Um, but uh, I think they just need to revamp some stuff, Sal. Well, I I don't disagree with you. I, I think they need to do something to enhance the delivery of, of what they're giving as far as the show. But I also know they're trying to um, educate their fan base or whoever follows and, and have them drink some Kool-Aid and see what happens here. Um, I That's the only other thing I could think of. But uh, the bottom line is, uh, yeah, we do need some little shakeups here and there. And uh, for HBO at this time with Jim Lampley uh, remaining, it's not going to happen. Uh, maybe he'll change his, his delivery. Maybe he'll change his uh, opinion a little bit, but uh, I, I I give him a shot. I give him a shot. He's I think got the, a long way to go. The only changing of delivery should be the delivery of his mail because he should be getting it at another someplace else other than HBO. Uh, that's a good I mean, one, that's, Billy. That's, I thought you were uh, going to say something about delivery of a pitch tonight, which might happen the way we're going to talk about. Nah, I'm not gonna, we'll talk about the results tomorrow. But uh, yeah. And by the way, my choice of – uh, using tar and feather, I did not mean it in any kind of negative way. I just, uh, you know, it just meant that I don't like uh, uh, Morio Ronaldo. So I know I'm going to get slack for that, but I, I didn't mean it uh, in any negative way. But uh, anyway, uh, I'm trying to move right along after that. Let's go. Uh, Let me build yeah. you out. His life preserver. Hey, what about those Yanks? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I need more than that. But uh, anyway. Uh, let's go to our trivia question because okay. uh, the trivia question is uh, uh, a good feel here. But uh, uh, yesterday's trivia question, or I should say Monday's trivia question, um, said, uh, what two famous actors once shared an apartment with Jack Dempsey? And before the show ended, uh, in the chat room, my man, Paul Hutchinson, knew that the correct answer was Charlie Chaplin and Douglas Fairbanks Sr. So congratulations wow. to my man, Paul. Uh, we sent him his very own copy of the title bout championship computer game. So uh, I hope he enjoys that. So we have another uh, trivia question today, Sal. And right. today's question is, what famous boxer... Uh, let, me, let, let me rephrase that. What boxer... Because <laughs> he might not be too famous... <clears throat> What boxer had a famous comic strip character named after him? What boxer had a famous comic it. strip character named after him? Do you know the answer, Sal? Joe Palooka. No. You're, but you're, okay. you're, you're, it was a good one. That was a good one. That was good. I was expecting <laughs> I was expecting it. I was expecting it. I was expecting a different uh, uh, answer from you. But, uh, but, but, but in, just in lieu of that answer, I'm going to buy myself a pack or a, a handful or however you buy them of Bazooka Bubblegum where Palooka Joe. There you go. It uh, works. Start. But uh, anyway, if you're the first one to email me the correct answer, Billy at Talking Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G dot com. 
you will win your very own copy of the title bout championship computer game one more time what boxer had a famous comic strip character named after him if you're the first one to email me billy at talkingboxing.com you'll win the prize on this day october 11th in boxing history in 2002 wayne braithwaite knocks out vincenzo canator in the 10th round to win the vacant wbc world cruiserweight title took place in italy on this day in 1913 georgie chip uh knocks out frank claus and there is no relation to santa but frank claus <laughs> in the it. sixth round to win the world middleweight title that took place in pittsburgh <laughs> you like that one huh in i like pittsburgh, that you know in, me i in, love that one in pittsburgh pennsylvania he, he was santa's cousin though i will tell you that but uh no uh, and on this day in 1992, Ricardo Lopez knocks out Rocky Lynn in the second round uh, to retain his WBC World minimum weight title. Uh, and that took place in uh, Tokyo, Japan. On this day in 1997, Prince Nassim Hamed knocks out Jose Badillo in the seventh round to retain his WBO World featherweight title. It took place in England. And finally, on this day in 1997, Joe Calzaghe. Wins a 12-round decision over Chris Eubanks Sr. to win the vacant WBO Super Middleweight title. And that took place at the Sheffield Arena in Sheffield, England on this day in 1997. Hey, listen, we're going to have a full day uh, of uh, the show tomorrow. We will give you the uh, results of Sal's Yankees against the Cleveland Indians tomorrow. Go Yankees! Go Yankees! Uh, They are in a do-or-die situation um, I think that uh, uh, the Indians are one of the better teams. So if the Yankees do get by the Indians, uh, watch out for the Yanks. And uh, although I don't like the Yankees at all, I do like Aaron Judge. I do like Aaron Judge. I'll give you that. I like yeah, the kid. That's, that's you know? a good judgment. But uh, <laughs> here come the Judge. Remember Flip Wilson? Here come the here Judge. Come the judge. Here come the Judge. <laughs> anyway, listen. Make sure you tune in tomorrow morning, same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby.